we all know what forbidden fruit means, right? John Milton wrote about it. Michelangelo painted it. Nina Simone sang about it. Eve and Adam had a garden, she sang. Everything was great. Till one day a boy said, pardon, miss, my name is Snake. See that apple over yonder? If you take a bite, you and Adam both are bound to have some fun tonight. <laughs> Nina knows what this story is about. It's about that forbidden thing that makes the world go round. I suspect that all of us have a version of this story in our heads, right? Even if we've never read the Bible, even the apple, and everybody knows, at least in Western culture, what that apple represents. She gives it to Adam, they chow down on it, the, the juice of it drips down their face, and then they look down and realize that they are not wearing a stitch of clothing, and suddenly they experience this whole new phenomenon. This is where shame comes into the story, right? That horrible pit. A horrible feeling in the pit of your stomach when you know you have done the forbidden thing and you know that God is watching you and you know that once you cross that line, there is no going back. Mostly, historically, it's been women who have borne the cost of this story. That goes back to the earliest days of Christianity to bishops like a guy named Tertullian who loved to preach sermons about the sins of Eve to his female congregants. You are the devil's gateway, he would tell them. You are the unsealer of that forbidden tree, the first deserter of divine law. He sounds like he was a lot of fun to hang out with. That read on this story is entirely unfair to Eve, right? It's unfair in all kinds of ways because I think the way the story is designed to work, it's kind of a little bit of a setup. Right? Even an armchair psychologist knows that the way to get somebody to want something is to tell them that they can't have it. Right? That's basic human psychology. So what the serpent knows to be true about the forbidden fruit in Genesis turns out to be exactly right. He says to Eve, God knows that if you eat from this tree, your eyes will be opened. You will grow up. And what's more, you will understand the difference between good and evil. What the serpent says is true, right? That's exactly what happens. Eve grows up really fast. She has her moment of delight. She chows down on the fruit. She shares it with her beloved. They have this, this beautiful moment of pleasure together. And then they start to understand something. But the only way that they know evil is by understanding its opposite, which is good. The fruit is good. It is, it is pleasurable to the eye. The Hebrew text is actually even more direct about this than our English translation, which is a little prissy, right? When Eve looks at the fruit in Hebrew, the text says, the woman looked and she saw that the fruit was good for eating and that it was lust for the eyes. She wants it. And something about that desire entices her and frightens her at the same time. She begins to understand something about where evil, if we're going to use that term, where that comes from. And that, that sensation is where centuries of Christian teaching has located the phenomenon of sin, right? The human body that wants the thing it's been told it cannot have. So we, we map that psychological phenomenon of forbidden desire, which is very human, onto this theological concept of sin. 
and we name your desire itself as the problem before you've even had a chance to experience the, the goodness of what a holy desire can feel like. We tell you that that is the root of disobedience, right? It's the root of rebellion, that the real sin here is, the, is a lust for power, right? To, to know right from wrong, to be a god yourself. It's all lust. It's all wanting. It's the, the trickiness and the d- duplicity of human desire. It's all power and sex, right? All the way down, power and sex. I was 16 when that fruit was offered to me for the first time. Happened very quickly in a park near my house, and mostly my memories are like their sense memories, right? The smell of the mud around my boots, the feel of the sun on the back of my neck, the the furtiveness, the thrill. What if somebody catches us? And I remember coming home when it was all over, filled with this crushing sense of regret and shame. I didn't even make it upstairs to my bedroom. I knelt desperate on the stairs of our house. My fingers were pressing into this cream-colored carpet. I can feel it underneath my fingers still. This knowledge that deep in my bones I had been kicked out of the garden. And there was no going back. I remember tears falling down my face. And I remember the prayer that I prayed. It felt like the first time in my life I had ever truly prayed because for the first time in my life, I meant it. I prayed, God, forgive me. Forgive me for the thing I just did. I was a good pupil, right? My my world, my culture, my society, and more to the point, my church had taught me that what I did was wrong. And I did it anyway, because I wanted that fruit. In the moment, I was so filled with shame that I remember promising, God, I will never do that again. And as soon as the words left my, left my mouth, I knew they were a lie, right? I knew I was going to do it again. I knew that I was going to want another taste of that fruit. So I don't think this Genesis story, I don't think this story is really about sin. I do think it is all about sex. I think it's about sex and shame and power and what it feels like to want something you're not supposed to want, and then what happens to you when you get it. I don't think that the story is about sin because I've let go of the idea that desire and wanting, being attracted to the the beauty and the promise of a fruit of good and evil, that thing that opens your eyes to so much pleasure and so much pain, I've let go of the idea that sex and desire are necessarily the doorway into something that we name as sin. Certainly, sex and desire can lead us down some pretty complicated paths. And there is probably no more important place to talk about ethics and what good and evil mean in the context of wanting and longing, what it means to consent, right? What it means to be respectful, to honor and love somebody else's body in the context of enjoyment and pleasure and fun. Right? Sex is meant to be fun. (laughs) I think we lose that sometimes when we look at it through the lens of the Genesis story. But the problem here... This is not working for me. The problem here is not wanting what we shouldn't want, right? The wanting is holy, I think. The wanting is good. This tree is not just about evil. The fruit of the tree is also about knowing goodness, right? That, that fruit has a name. It comes from the tree that is the knowledge of good and evil. 
And at the root of every human longing, I think, every desire, every yearning for a forbidden fruit, I think, there's something so beautiful about that longing, however, however warped it has become by, by culture and by society and by church. I am not willing to renounce that fruit because of how dangerous it is, right? I will take the shame. I'll deal with the shame if I must. I'll spend the years and I'll do the work and I'll pay my therapist to make my peace with the shame that lies right next door to the desire to eat the fruit. Because the other thing that I have learned is that God is never so close to me as when I let myself experience the goodness of that longing. That is a holy experience, I think. And I want a religion that names that feeling, that goodness, as holy, right? That fruit is good. And Mother Eve gave us a gift, I think, when she looked at that fruit and saw, as the text says, that it was good for food and lust for the eyes, much to be desired to make you wise. I don't know if sex has made you wise. Mostly, I think sex has made me very, very foolish. And I think it has also brought me as close as anything ever has to a real relationship with the one who put my body together in the first place. And knowing that creative force is what wisdom is, right? It's where wisdom comes from in the end, holy and profane. And I think wisdom includes sometimes the shame that results as a result of tasting that fruit, right? Just when I think I've moved past all of the adolescent sex stuff, the shame stuff, I drop down into a whole new layer of it. This stuff goes deep, right? Many of us will spend the rest of our lives untangling the holiness of our desire from the sinfulness of shame, if you want to call it that, right? The thing that blocks us from embracing the goodness of the fruit. Somewhere in that wrestling, I think, we learn wisdom. So you can dismiss this story, as many have, as a, you know, a myth about an outdated morality that should be thrown out with the bathwater. Thank God we've moved beyond all of that. I don't think we have. At least I haven't. And I've sat with enough of you and heard various people's stories around sex and shame to know that if there's one thing that draws us into a community like this one, it's this need to look around us and discover that we are not alone in this struggle. We need one another to do this work. And I think, I might be wrong about this, but my sense is that this story from Genesis, this primordial myth about sex and power, my sense is that for all the damage it has done, it is a story that has power in it, maybe power to heal something. In other words, I've learned, to, I've learned to have an awful lot of respect and even quite a bit of love for Eve, this innocent creature who does nothing more than look and want. And there's something so pure to me in that. Tradition has castigated her. Tradition has mostly beaten up on her and named her as the problem. But there's something so beautiful, I think, in what she represents, what she shows us, which she shows me anyway, about the holiness of desire, and then what it means to continue to walk with God on the other side of shame. Eve mirrors back to me parts of my own story, that apple that I knew I wanted before I even knew how to put words to the want, and the instinct in me that understood somehow 
that the forbidden thing was not dangerous because it was going to take me away from God. The forbidden thing maybe was dangerous because it was the thing that was going to lead me right into the heart of God. What does that fruit mean but the knowledge of good and evil, a growing in wisdom? That fruit invites me into this holy wrestling match with a God who loves me when I can't love myself. This story messed me up. I think it also saves me. Because at the center of this garden, this mythical garden of Eden, there's another tree, right? Not just the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's another tree in that garden, and that tree is named the tree of life. And at the end of the story, right, the very end of Revelation, when all the world is lying in ruins and smoke, at the end of all the horror and all the mayhem and all the bloodshed, that is the tree that is still standing the tree of life. It bears 12 kinds of fruit, and the text says its leaves are for the healing of the nations. In that day, the text says there will not be curses anymore. There will no longer be the stigma of shame that we carry, the mark of disgrace. In that day, they see the lamb face to face, and God writes God's name on their foreheads. There's an old English poem that we sing at Christmas time sometimes. It goes, the tree of life my soul has seen, laden with fruit and evergreen. All trees of nature fruitless be compared to Christ, the apple tree. In English, calling Christ the apple tree in a tradition that names apple as the, the root of this, of this thing, right, the root of shame, that's a really significant twist that this poet is putting on the story, right? All trees of nature fruitless be, compared with Christ the apple tree. And then the text says, his beauty, his beauty doth all things excel. By faith I know, but ne'er can tell the glory which now I see in Jesus Christ the apple tree. For happiness I long have sought, and pleasure dearly I have bought. I missed of all, but now I see tis found in Christ the apple tree. That's the fruit, right? At least that's the fruit that I want. And I'm not going to stop searching until I can taste that thing for myself.